Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. You're listening to the original radio show and podcast about food and wine, broadcast from Paris, France. Paris Good Food and Wine, we delve into the topics of food, wine, and all their related subjects, talking with an array of people whose expertise both pepper and help ferment the food and wine scene in Paris, France, and the world at large. We're glad you can join us here for the delicious stories we bring you on Paris, good food, and wine. Please leave your comments, reviews, and suggestions. You can also contact us at our Twitter, at Paris Food Wine, or on our website, parisfoodandwine.net, or on my Instagram page, P-A-I-G-E, Food Wine. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever you download your podcasts. It seems I haven't been able to help myself of late, but my mind has been drifting consistently towards peace. Perhaps it's the numerous protests I see here on our streets in Paris. Perhaps it's because of the wild anarchist rioting I've seen on TV and video footage erupting all across the United States. Whatever the reason, My mind has sought its solace in thoughts of peace. Peace among nations, peace among people. It was this inspiration that had me looking at the Nobel Prize website and reading about their gala dinner. The annual dinner is an extravagant affair, to say the least. It's hosted by an army of culinary professionals and attended by approximately 1,500 guests, including the King and Queen of Sweden. So... For our bonus episode of season six, now that we're well into the summer, we'll be hearing from Chef Sebastian Gibrand. He's been the chef for the Nobel Prize, including the Peace Prize, gala dinner for the past few years. He's even been entrusted with creating and planning the starter and main courses. All this at just 32 years old. He's been quoted as saying, for me... The process of serving someone food is like placing one's heart and soul on a plate. But when you speak with him, as we did, you'll hear how culinary competition is what really floats his boat. For the Swedish team, he's so far brought home a silver medal from the ultra-prestigious Bocuse d'Or, the annual international culinary competition held in Lyon, France. Well, I'll let him tell you all about it. For the second half of our episode, 57, of Paris, Good Food and Wine, I'll be reading an excerpt ripped from the pages of an archived Southern-style cooking cookbook called The Bluegrass Cookbook. It was compiled by Minnie Fox and published in 1904. The recipes within are gems, just gems. They all come from Kentucky, the bluegrass state, and in case you didn't know, There's a Paris in Kentucky, 
In fact, dozens of the recipes come from women who cooked, loved, lived, raised kids, and served their families in Paris, Kentucky, as well as Lexington and Louisville. The book's intro starts off with this. No, the major would say, I reckon I'd better be going. After every mint julep, this interchange would take place. At the end of the third, the major invariably weakened. Well, he'd say, I reckon I'll stay a little longer. And he would stay another year. This went on for a decade. More on Kentucky bluegrass cooking in the second half of the show. For now, we start with Chef Sebastian Gibrand. This season of Paris Good Food and Wine has been generously brought to you by IoT Logistics LLC. We offer precision supply chain management for your shipped goods. What's precision supply chain management? Powered by technology, it's the ability to track and trace your goods in real time. Monitoring is by temperature, movement, geolocation, and humidity. With our help, you always know where your goods are while in transit and in storage, and in what condition they're in. Contact them at iotlogistics.international. I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. This bonus episode of Paris Good Food and Wine is grateful to Planet Bordeaux for their generous support. Also to Bordeaux Supérieur AOC and the Appellation Bordeaux Claret Controlé. You can find our tasting notes for the 2019 Oscars de Bordeaux selection of wines on our Charis de Vin blog and Local Food and Wine and also Bordeaux Food and Wine websites. That's localfood.wine and bordeauxfoodandwine.com. Well, Chef Gibran, I wanted to actually ask you first off at the top of this interview to, if you would please introduce yourself to our listeners, because you're coming to us from Stockholm, Sweden, which for me is already quite a big deal. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, like, I, like you said, I'm, I'm from Sweden and I'm currently located in Stockholm, but I'm from the southern part of Sweden. Um, I've been here in um, Stockholm for about 12 years, now, not 10 years now. I've been uh, working in uh, a lot of Michelin star restaurants as uh, Waxen, Francien. Also been a part of the culinary team of Sweden. And um, at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm working with uh, the Bocuse d'Or for a second time. That is such a stellar resume. Let's, let's go back in and unpack all that. Because also, I, I believe you're, you're quite young. You're, what, under you're at least under 40, if, if not. Yeah, under, right? yeah, I'm turning, I'm turning 32 this summer. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't mean to call you young, but from, from my <laughs> vantage point. <laughs> thank you. It's, that's a first for me. So, uh, so thank you very much. You're quite, you're quite welcome. All right. So let's go back in and unpack all that. You know, honestly, originally why I uh, reached out to you was, as, as impressive as your Bocuse d'Or, which is, of course, the, the big French culinary competition, um, is, you are the chef for the uh, Nobel Peace Prize Gala Dinner every year there in Stockholm. 
And honestly, once I, once I found that out, I thought, well, you know, with all this tumultuous happenings that are going on in our world right now, it, it got me thinking more and more about peace. And then I thought about, well, you know, food and peace. Can food be, you know, a bridge towards peace? And so when I saw that, you know, you have been now consistently, not just once, not just once, but several times that you've been the chef for the gala dinners, the, the Nobel Peace Prize gala dinners, what is that like? And how much preparation goes into you coming up with the starter and the main and then sourcing the ingredients? Um, yeah, it's a big, it's a big venue. It's for 1500 people in total. Um, what you're cooking for in, in the dinner is 1,350 guests. So uh, it's a lot of people. So you need to be fully prepared. Um, so the dishes has been created in the beginning of the year in uh, March, April. So we have a couple of uh, tryouts. And uh, so we set the menu in the autumn. So a couple of months in advance to make sure that we have all the preparations, uh, all the chefs that we need, that we had the produce, that we have enough uh, quantity to, uh, to do, do this kind of dinner. And also a schedule of when everything's make it, when everything should be made. It's about uh, almost a week in advance before the dinner that we start doing the, the first things on the menu. So it's a quite um, huge um, project and a big dinner. So you really have to be fully prepared. When I looked at some of the ingredients listings on the, on the website, I'm going to post those on the show notes because, I mean, the quantities are immense. And yet the, 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 deli the delicateness of your presentation, um, for one appetizer, one starter, weren't you inspired by the forest or something like that? I said the start of this year, last year, 2019, was uh, uh, the, the main course was a little bit about the forest. We had some uh, pine shoot and pine oil together with some duck, potatoes, mushrooms, so a little bit more autumn flavors, more forest. And then for the starter, we had a little bit more um, Scandinavian touches. We had the, the bleak row. That's a signature row from a very venomous row from a very small fish from the north of Sweden. Probably one of the only products that we have that we, we really celebrate as the highest quality. We have a lot of good quality ingredients, but this is probably our major uh, that we're really proud of. So we want to highlight that one in uh, the start, together with some, uh, some horseradish cucumbers to really showcase the Scandinavian touches. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, and then touching on that then too, um, it brings me back to that, to the, another point I've read about you, is, and that is that you're really dedicated to using local ingredients and where you can, Scandinavian inspired ingredients. Wh where does this passion for local come from, Chef? I think it's very important that you, that you start with flavor, that everything, everything we say that flavor is twice the points for regarding everything else. So it needs to be tasty. And of course, it's um, if you can work together with a farmer and make sure that you you grow a vegetable or you raise a chicken or a duck, you could be uh, involved in the whole process of what kind of uh, food that they are eating, uh, what the props that they are having, and everything, making sure that you get the flavor palette that you want. And of course, I, I use the, the base is Scandinavian, but I bring in flavors from other types, uh, other um, places around the world. But... I think it's important to 
to checking your local um, with your local farmers and your local ingredients at the, as a first step. And if you can find the best quality from within the region, I think that's the first key of uh, making a success. And otherwise, you have to look even further away than local. But local for me is supporting the farmers and, and the Swedish produce and the Swedish heritage. You know, that's an interesting point. And um, kind of going a little bit off tack here, do you, just for conversational purposes, do you think in this new sort of world landscape that we're in now, you know, post this spring, you know, post the pandemic, do you think that uh, local is going to be even more of a, of a go-to now for, for restaurants and, and people in the culinary world? I think it's been very focused on local stuff, uh, local produce for a very long time, but the pandemic has uh, also showcased for people and I guess that we really need to focus on bringing in the local to make sure that the community works as well. So I think that the knowledge from the chefs has been quite high during a couple of years, but of course it's increased for the chefs as well. But foremost, I think it's been increased by... Uh, by the guests and, and all the people that are visiting all the restaurants. So I think that the knowledge about local food has increased a lot. And I think that a lot of people are more likely to spend more if they can get this uh, local produce. I see. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good point. All right. Now let's go back to um, when you were summing up your, you know, in the brief one, one minute uh, resume that you gave us at the top of the interview, you mentioned two restaurants. Waxen and Franzen in Stockholm. Now, I know that those are top-tier restaurants in, in Stockholm. How did you land, land a job working there? And what, what were those experiences like? I think for me, it's definitely been, I started very young. I actually started from the beginning. I started when I was 14, 15, working in a small town called Helsingborg. And I started in a French restaurant with... Um, the best mentor you could ever have. You learn, I learned the basic, the, the fundamentals of cooking. And then I just wanted to increase and uh, learn more. So I started to the, the best restaurant in the south of Sweden. And when I've been there for a couple of years, uh, for four years, then I decided to move to Stockholm to have a new challenge. And um, then the Francien and Waxen was the top restaurants. So I just sent in a CV and uh, they accepted me and... For me, it's very important to always um, uh, develop and be better and better. So I wanted to spend the most time at the best restaurants uh, available and to learn more and to, to get as good as possible. When you started out, Chef, did you have an eye towards be, being a chef yourself and one day owning your own restaurant? Or did you just start off as just like, you know, hey, this is a, a, an avenue, this is a path I can take to explore? For me, for me, it was um, just out of the blue. It, I told my parents that I wanted to become a chef, and they told me that you're not going, going to be a chef, you're going to do something else. And I said, yeah, but this is really what I want to do. And I, I, I promised them that I want to be the top five chef, top 10 chef in five years. Uh, and then they said, yeah, okay, this, this is okay. So I ended up in the culinary team. So in one way, I was in kind of in the reach of this goal. And then, of course, I said always from the beginning that I wanted to open my own uh, venue, my own place. So uh, that's a goal I'm still aiming for. But first, I'm going to do one more shot at the Bocchiso door before uh, opening my own. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, you, you have a pretty comprehensive website though, too. So I guess, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great start. Well, that's a great seg segue then too into the Bocuse d'Or, which of course takes place in Lyon here in France um, every year. And it attracts international teams. I mean, every, people come from all over the world to compete. And I've never attended myself, but from what I've under, understand is that it is there maybe the olympics are as competitive but yeah, uh, yeah yeah absolutely for me i started out very young playing soccer and i realized that i wasn't good enough for playing soccer so i i decided to take my my will to compete to uh into the kitchen and uh, book is is the world's most prestigious cooking competition so uh of course i aimed for that one and just being there once and i've, and I've been there visiting when other people competed and I thought, uh, felt like the atmosphere with uh, thousands of people on the stands was, um, was amazing and decided that I want to be in the, in the kitchen competing. And uh, once you've done it uh, once and being, being in the kitchen and seeing all the crowd on the stands, it's, uh, it's like a drug. You want, just want to go back. So uh, I, had, I came in second place, so I decided I want to make one more shot and see if I can be top of the podium. Because that that feeling of competing, it's um, indescribable. Yeah, that's awesome. Bringing in the silver for the for the Swedish team. Um, how big of a team are are you? Were you leading? Did you lead this last time? Um, it's depending on how you come. It's a, a official team. It's uh, it's me, Yakomi, my assistant, and my coach, and a president that also becomes a jury member. But then if you look uh, beyond that, it's, uh, we, I had like one physical trainer, one mental trainer, some people working with PR, uh, working with uh, designers. We have um, assistant chefs. So I think that all, all to all, we were about 15 people uh, in total. So it's quite a big team, but everybody do it for, for free. So uh, we do it on a spare time because everybody's so dedicated on on, on competing and being involved in this huge competition. Yeah, that's so impressive. If you, you know, from your perspective now, if you were speaking to your 14 or 15 year old self or someone now who's 14 or 15 years old, looking towards having that as a goal, what kind of, what kind of advice could you give them in terms of, you know, how to prepare yourself to, to compete one day in the Bocuse d'Or? At first, first of all, I have to say, just go for it. Because uh, if that's your dream, that's something you need to uh, you strive after. And uh, then you have to set up some goals, some steps on the way. So you don't decide. You, just, you can't just have a vision of competing. You have some, take some small steps. Uh, so increase your level of expertise by, uh, by every year, by every month, by every hour. So um, I think some baby steps and making sure that you aim on working in a good restaurant where you can evolve as a chef and as a person, and then maybe aim for a very good restaurant and then being uh, prepared for both the physical, the mentally, and especially the uh, financial situation of competing in the bookie store, because it's, it's demanding in so many ways. You have to be well prepared, but if that's your goal, if that's um, your vision, uh, just go for it. Great, okay. Find this and more episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and also on iTunes. I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine.
Now, you've, we've spoken a lot, actually, in the last few minutes about French food. So you said you started in a French restaurant, and um, now you've visited France a, a number of times. What, what do you appreciate most about French food and wine? Because I understand you're quite a, a, you have quite a passion for wine as well. Yeah, absolutely. What's not to like with uh, both uh, French food and French wine? I think it's uh, probably the best in the world. So uh, I visit uh, France a couple of day, uh, couple of times a year. I really love it. I like, love the focus on the produce and uh, uh, the classical dishes, the flavors. Um, I think that Scandinavian and, and other countries, we are focusing on making it too technical and uh, too edgy. I think that we still have to have the uh, basic uh, cooking as um, Paul Bocuse or Van uh, the really um, gods in cooking. I think that they have the approach of making the best food. And I think that's something that's, that's so incorporated in the French cuisine. That's, that's why I love it. Okay. Do you have a, a, a wine region in particular, whether it's France or anywhere in the world that you want to visit or have visited and would like to go back to? Yeah, of course. But there's so many good wines, so it's depending <laughs> about the mood and the day. But uh, of course, Champagne is always a favorite. Uh, Bourgogne, uh, Bordeaux, there's so many. And Rhone Valley. So it's depending on what type of uh, dinner, what type of uh, company or dinner you're at what kind of day it is, but there's so many good wines, so it's hard to decide just one. Good answer. <laughs> Very good answer. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Before, before we, we wrap this up, um, you know, and please, if there's anything that you'd like to bring up, you know, about your philosophy as a chef or what it's like working in, in Stockholm, I was going to bring it back to, I was going to bring the conversation back to the, the Nobel uh, dinner gala because it is I mean you know people who have have had the the honor of attending they they speak in such a reverence uh, you know about it um, just you know the art de la table you know the and and then the food that's served and the you know the waiters that come out and you know there you are heading up uh you know a whole team it's like an army of of culinary professionals we, are you going to be the chef for that again this year or do you know yet or we don't, we don't know yet. It's um, the difficult times, but uh, have, so we haven't really decided who's, uh, who's going to be cooking it again. But exactly as you said, it's an army of chefs. It's uh, about 40 in the total. And uh, everyone, some of them are handpicked by, by me and some of them are handpicked by uh, the one responsible at uh, our city hall, the chef in the city hall. So uh, it's a huge teamwork and uh, it's probably the hardest dinner you could ever make because everything has to be served on a platter and you have to make sure that everything on the main course is hot when it's served. So there's so many elements that could go wrong that you have to think about. So it's, uh, that's a very tricky dinner to cook, but uh, that's why the challenge is the best you could ever have. And it's, it uh, challenges you in so many ways as a chef. Well, that's, that's gotta be the understatement of the year. <laughs> I just can't imagine. <laughs> pulling something off like that do you work closely or I mean in the sense of do you coordinate with the pastry chef in terms of um like the menu that you've planned or well not the menu but I mean the, the starter and the main and just you know the whole um configuration of the dinner do you consult with the pastry dinner and let him know what you're doing or do you guys just kind of 
come up with your own your own propositions independently? Now we um, we talk to each other and we discuss what kind of plates because um, there are limitations on plates as well because of the many how many uh, waitresses and servers we need to uh, we need to have. So if one need wants to have a, a bowl. It's uh, just one of us that could have it. So we have to consult on plates. We discuss on flavors. And uh, if he's have something acidic and I have maybe I have maybe more savory. So we discuss a lot. So we don't use the same ingredients. And uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, collaboration between between us. But it's but then also I focus, of course, a, a lot more of, on the starter in the main. And he's uh, focusing on the dessert. But of course, there's a... Uh, there's a collaboration between us. Okay, great, great. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked that, that you'd like to speak to? I, I'm, I'm a little curious to ask if you have any thoughts about the future of how dining out is going to go. I mean, I know that here in France, just as of uh, last Tuesday, so less than a week now, the restaurants have been open to people coming inside. Of course, the terraces opened a week or two prior to that, but the people can now dine back inside and people are, you know, thrilled because, of course, the dining out culture here in France is just it's part of the, the DNA here. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about where the where dining, the future of dining is going to go or if you even feel like speaking to that. But I think that the... Uh... We've been uh, working with the big challenge. We have to be um, very humble about it. Uh, I think that this situation is my, something we might have to uh, work against in the future as well. So I think we need to uh, focus and start um, redoing a little bit of how we serve food, maybe in different ways, and uh, make sure that we are creative in, in, in the ways that we could serve food. So. I've seen in Sweden, we started with a little bit more takeout instead of like, so there's so many things or mobile kitchens. And I think it's going to be a creative a couple of years ahead because we have to rethink a lot of how we eat and dine and how we can, how we can um, bring food and joy to people if they're not able to go to a restaurant. So I think it's a creative time in the in, in the few near couple of years. So I'm very looking forward to see what the future brings. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. And you on your, I know on your website, which is, it's a very nice website. I mean, it's just to the point, simple, but you know, very visual. Uh, you do um, private bookings and catering and things like that, correct? Yeah, that's what I do because of the main focus is uh, I work seven, six to seven days a week um, with the bookies door training. And so, um, so I do a lot of caterings and, and bigger venues and uh, private, private dinner corporations. So it's, that's the, um, what, I'm, what I'm doing on the, on the side of the, on the training for the bookies door. So I don't have a restaurant at the moment, but we're, I'm looking, looking for opening in the future after a while I, when I'm done competing. So that is a, a huge time commitment, six or seven days a week for the Bocuse d'Or training. That's, that's your main, I, I see, that's really your main focus. So to do that, you have to be kind of all in, as they say. Yeah, but that's what you need to do. So that's why I brought in a colleague. So he's responsible for caterings and all the events. Um, now it's been easy because everything has been canceled. So, um, so it's been... Um, but we've done a new a couple of things. We started a YouTube channel making uh, simple food for people at home. So uh, 
yeah, like I said, the future is uh, going to be creative because we need to find ways of uh, inspiring people and cooking good food for people at home. So uh, um, that's the the main fo- main focus. In hopefully in the autumn is going to be doing some venues while I'm training for the bookers. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Those are good thoughts to to leave our our listeners with that. The future is going to be creative, and I'll for sure list your your YouTube channel in our in our show notes so people can try to follow you and learn at home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's going to be the very basic, but the fundamentals of cooking, and uh, I think it's going to be. Uh, I think this. I have my mom as a preference. If she if she can cook the food that I create, then it's going to fly. So we don't just done it with um, the aesthetics of how I plate the dish, but just small, simple steps to create a super nice dish for both uh, weekdays, but also for uh, some big dinners. So it's, I think it's going to be, uh, hopefully people are going to enjoy it. Perfect. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's that, it sounds lovely. Well, and moms are always, uh, are always good ones to, to, to try to follow. Exactly. I have her, I have her always as a reference. If she likes it, then I know that people are good because she's kind of a, uh, uh, like a, how do you say it? Like in the middle of everything. She, she's not. She's good, but not super good. So, yeah. If she can, if she can manage it, a lot of people will do great. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, Chef Sebastian Gibran, I really want to thank you so very much for joining us on this podcast today. It's been really a pleasure to speak with you up there in in Stockholm and. And hopefully maybe one of these days, either I'll see you competing at the Bocuse d'Or in Lyon or maybe maybe see you wine tasting in Burgundy one of these days. That probably will happen. One or the other, most definitely. <laughs> great, great. All right, well, have a, have a wonderful rest of the day and uh, enjoy that sunshine. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This bonus episode of Paris Good Food and Wine is grateful to Planet Bordeaux for their generous support. Also to Bordeaux Supérieur AOC and the Appellation Bordeaux Claret Contrôlé. You can find our tasting notes for the 2019 Oscars de Bordeaux selection of wines on our Chéri de Vin blog and Local Food and Wine and also Bordeaux Food and Wine websites. That's localfood.wine and bordeauxfoodandwine.com. This season of Paris Good Food and Wine has been generously brought to you by IoT Logistics, LLC. We offer precision supply chain management for your shipped goods. What's precision supply chain management? Powered by technology, it's the ability to track and trace your goods in real time. Monitoring is by temperature, movement, geolocation, and humidity. With our help, you always know where your goods are while in transit and in storage and in what condition they're in. Contact them at iotlogistics.international. Now for our dose of bluegrass southern style cooking. 
You can find a link to the cookbook in our show notes on local food and wine at localfood.wine. The book is chock full of mouth-watering and very entertaining recipes. For example, there's the velvet cream DP, which is kind of like a jello is how it seems, at least if you read the recipe. It calls for one cup of wine, one box of gelatin, one lemon, one pint of milk, one cup of sugar. So you dissolve the gelatin in the wine over the fire and peel and juice a lemon. And then when the gelatin is gone, dissolved, add the sugar. Let it simmer, then strain, add the milk and stir till cold. Mold and let congeal. Serve with whipped cream. That one's on page 196 of the book. Then you have the Zalapa Punch, which is a gallon of strong tea, grated rind of one lemon. Let it stand a few minutes and strain. Add one pound of loaf sugar, equal parts of Syracuse rum, apple brandy, and claret wine to suit the taste. Serve with ice and thinly sliced lemon. Okay, and then for the last one, egg kisses, found on page 343. Egg kisses, whites of three eggs, one pint sugar. Put the sugar in a bowl and pour the whites over and beat 20 minutes. With a dessert spoon, drop the mixture on paper an inch or more apart. Do not let them touch. Put on a board or an inverted bread pan and put enough layers of paper to keep the bottom from burning. Bake in a moderate oven till brown. Let the mixture rise and then bake, or they will not be light. Remove with a knife and put on a dish. You can read more of these wonderful jewels of recipes of an era gone by uh, by downloading the book. We've provided the link in our show notes at Local Food and Wine. That's localfood.wine. And also you can find that at localfoodandwine.wordpress.com and at Twitter at Local Food Wine. By the way, in case you didn't know, Kentucky is the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was America's 16th president, a Republican remembered most for his abolition of slavery. From the introduction of the Bluegrass Cookbook. All honor then to that turbaned mistress of the Kentucky kitchen, the Kentucky cook. She came to the bluegrass from Virginia, more than a hundred years ago, swift on the flying feet of the Indian. She was broad, portly, kind of heart, though severe of countenance, as befitted her dignity, and usually quick of temper and sharp of tongue. Her realm was not limited to the kitchen. She disputed the power of Mammy in the drawing room, and there were times when all, black and white, bowed down before her. James Lane Allen has written that, going home with a friend late one night after a party, his friend got up at five o'clock the next morning and made him get up through fear of rousing the temper of the same black autocratic cook. But when she was kind, she was mighty. And is there a Southerner who does not hold her, in spite of her faults, in loving remembrance? As far as I know, she has never got her just due. She's gone, and there are good ones today who fill her place, but none who are full worthy. 
Publicly, I acknowledge an everlasting debt, and to that turbaned mistress of the Kentucky kitchen, gratefully, this Southerner takes off his hat. John Fox, Jr., June 1st, 1904. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio, as well as on Spotify, and also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Paris Good Food and Wine. I want to say a big thank you, a calm merci beaucoup to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. And that includes you too, our listeners. We greatly appreciate that you listen to us. We really do. So leave your comments, suggestions, and reviews on our website at parisfoodandwine.net. You can find our show notes at Local Food and Wine. That's localfood.wine. Also localfoodandwine.wordpress.com. On Twitter, you can find us at Local Food Wine and at Paris Food Wine. So from your host and producer, me, Paige Donner, I want to wish you a bonne degustation and à toutes et à tous à votre santé from Paris, good food and wine.